Bobby and uh, Daenerys are on vacation this week, so I have the wonderful, wonderful privilege of uh, preaching for you guys this morning. And uh, they're really laboring for us this morning as well. They're at the beach, so let's remember them as well, because God knows that they're really fasting and praying for us this morning, right? All right. <laughs> Uh, we are uh, in a series called God of the Underdogs, and what this uh, series has been about is taking characters out of the Bible and showing us areas where they have been an underdog in certain situations or circumstances. We talked about David when he went up against Goliath. We talked about the widow and uh, what she had to face with when Elisha came. And what I love about those stories is, you know, the, the difference between those stories and the one we're going to go through this morning is those characters all had an an instance in their life where they were an underdog. You know, David was an underdog going up against Goliath, but then he defeated Goliath and became king. And then you're not really an underdog if you're the king of a country, right? So then that was kind of over. And then we talked about the widow, and she was like poor, and her children were going to be taken from her. And she was an underdog. And then she listened to the prophet of God, and she poured the oil in all these vessels, and they got filled, and then she was wealthy and rich, so you're not really an underdog then either. So it was kind of like they, all these characters we've talked about had an instance in their life where they were an underdog. But this morning we're going to be talking about, in my opinion, the greatest underdog story in the Bible because of the fact that it's not, uh, we're going to be talking about Gideon, and he wasn't an underdog in just one instance, but from the time he was born till the time he died, he was an underdog in everything that he did. So if you have your Bibles, it's also going to be on the screen. We are in Judges uh, chapter Chapter 6, and starting in verse 11, says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah. See, some of you guys didn't even know Oprah was in the Bible, and there she is, you know? That's what you get for being judgmental. Under the terebinth tree, which was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. So let me give you a background before we dive into this of what's happened. Before Israel had kings, they had leaders that were called judges which is where we get the book of Judges, right? I don't even need a theology degree to understand that. So this is where we get the book Judges. So they have these leaders who have, who have led them. And Israel has just had a leader, by the, a judge, by the name of Deborah. Deborah uh, led Israel as, as, as a judge for many years, but now she has passed away. And unlike if there was a king, when the king died, then the heir to the throne, his son, would take over. Well, when a judge died, then you really didn't have an heir. You would have to wait until the prophet of God appointed another judge for Israel. So Deborah has passed away. Israel has no leader now, and now they're in captivity. And so it's been 40 years that Israel has gone without a leader, and finally God comes to Gideon and says, I'm going to use you as the next judge and leader of Israel. What I love about this is is Gideon says to God, basically, I've got three strikes, I'm out. He says, there's no way you can use me for three reasons. He says, number one, I'm the youngest out of all of my siblings. 
He says, there's absolutely no way that you can use me because I'm the youngest out of all of my siblings. I've got older brothers, even older sisters. He's like, listen, there's, my, my siblings are older than I am. They're wiser than I am. They've got more experience than I do. They, they know more than I do. It's like, there's absolutely no way you can use me. I'm the youngest. He says, that's strike one. Strike two is, not only am I the youngest out of all my siblings, but my family is the weakest out of all of Israel. And he's like, so that's, that's the second thing going against me. I'm the youngest, I'm the weakest. And then he says, the third thing is this, I'm a slave. I'm being oppressed. All of Israel, all of my people are oppressed right now. He says, so that's three strikes and I'm out. But I love when God comes to Gideon and he says, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. And I absolutely love this because this, this contradicts exactly what Gideon thinks of himself. You see, Gideon thinks of himself as being weak, of being a slave, of being oppressed, of being the, of being the youngest, but God calls him how he sees him. You see, God does the exact same thing for us. We may, be, we may view ourselves in one light. Society may tell us in how they view us, but God will always speak to us how he views us. God will always talk to us and speak to us how he sees us in his eyes. It doesn't matter how we think of ourselves. It doesn't matter what other people think about us. All that matters is how God views us and how he sees us. And the way he saw Gideon was a mighty man of valor. That, to me, is absolutely amazing. So, if you, there's going to be three points that I'm going to hit this morning that I feel are important. So, if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write these points down. Because... God comes to Gideon, he says, I'm going to use you as the, king of, as the judge of Israel. Gideon gives all these excuses as to why he could never be used by God. And God's like, no, 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 I'm still going to use you. You're still my chosen one. This is your calling for your life. And then Gideon asks the question that every single one of us at one point in time have asked in our lives. Where is God? He says in verse 13, where is the God that I've heard of? Where is the God who does these miracles that I've been told about? How many of you have ever asked that before? Where's the God that I, that I, that I hear about? When, when, I, when I read my devotions in the morning or in the evening or whenever you read your Bible, when I open this Bible, where's the God that this Bible supposedly talks about? Where's the God that these preachers on Sunday morning are always preaching about? The God that all these people at church are always rejoicing and celebrating over. Where is that God? He doesn't come through for me. Why is it that I can pray and ask for healing or I can pray and ask for God to give me an answer on something and he never comes through? If God is really real, why does he let this happen? If God really loves me, why doesn't he just put me already into the destiny, into the calling that he's got for me? Well, this story goes into why we aren't able to just jump right into what God has for us and the process that God takes us through. When Gideon is asking all these questions, like where is this God that I, that, that I have heard about, that I've read about, God doesn't get upset at Gideon. He doesn't get upset at Gideon and say, why are you questioning me? He understands that we've got hurts. He understands that we've got doubts. He understands that we're confused and we're not sure. But then Gideon does something that I do all the time, which is even after God says, I'm still going to use you, even though you've got excuses and even though you've got doubts, then Gideon says, okay, God, if this is really you, if this is really what you want me to do, you're going to have to give me and show me a sign. And I've done that all the time. God, if this is really what you want me to do, give me a sign. Has anybody ever done that, hands? Man, you got some tired people, wake up, hallelujah. Okay, so, uh, you know, give me a sign, show me a sign. And has anybody ever said that? God, show me a sign, and then you didn't get that sign? Anybody ever had that? Is it just me? Okay, good, we've got some, everybody else backsliding. Okay, so, you know, wh- where is this sign? Where, where, you know, God, show me this sign. And the funny thing I love about the story is Gideon asked for a sign, 
and God actually shows him the sign, the exact sign Gideon asked for. He doesn't just say, give me a sign. He says, God, show me this sign, and God shows it to him. And Gideon's like, well, that's a coincidence. That's a total coincidence. That is no way that that's God speaking to me. So he says, God, show me another sign. And God's like, okay. So he shows him another sign. And he's like, okay, all right. There, I feel like the anointing is here. There could definitely be something here. There is definitely something God's wanting me to do. I'm still not sure what. He's like, so God, show me another sign. And God shows him another sign. He's like, okay, wait a second. Maybe I need to just clear my mind and take a couple days to think about this because there is absolutely no way that this is God speaking to me because God will never use me. So he says, God, give me this sign. And God does it. And he's like, okay, I think potentially There could be something here. There is potentially something God's wanting me to do, and I think this may be it. I'm not 100%. I've asked for 24 signs. All 24 of them have happened. But there's still a slight chance that this is not what God wants me to do. Anybody ever had that happen? Maybe you've not? Okay. So is anybody, the reason that I asked if you've ever asked God for a sign and it hasn't happened, perhaps the reason is, is because just like Gideon, even if God gave us the sign, we still wouldn't do it. Maybe when you ask God, God, show me a sign, he knows in our heart, we still wouldn't do it. We would still doubt. We would still have questions. We would still say, God, are you sure that's what you want me to do? Because that's what Gideon did. See, Gideon was like, if you show me a sign, I'll be all in because I know you'll want me to. I know then God's going to call me to do it. So God shows him all these signs and he's like, yeah, maybe I need one more. And he just keeps doing this over and over. In... um, so in this, in this story of Gideon, Gideon finally says, okay, maybe God wants me to really be the leader of Israel. Maybe I'm really supposed to step out and just obey God. So he gets, this, he gets these men together and he says, we're going to create an army to fight against the Midianites so that we don't have to be in slaves anymore. We don't have to be in slavery anymore. So Gideon gets this army together to fight against the Midianites that has 135,000 soldiers. Everybody imagine that real quick, okay? 135,000 soldiers. Gideon has an army of 32,000 soldiers, okay? It doesn't seem like a very even playing field, right? It's already Gideon's once again an underdog. And so Gideon goes into this saying, I've got 32,000. It's not going to be an easy win, but we can do it. But in Judges chapter 7, if you want to read there, in Judges chapter 7 and verse 2, Gideon has this army of 32,000 men now. He's like, okay, we're, we're outnumbered, clearly. We're not possibly going to win this, but we're going to give it our best shot. And here's what God says to Gideon. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So get this. God comes to Gideon and says, you've got 32,000? He's like, yeah, yeah, I've got 32,000. Going up against 135,000? He said, yes. He said, isn't that awesome? God's like, yeah. You've got way too many men, bud. You've got way too many soldiers in this army. Gideon's thinking, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. I need at least 32,000 men to go up against this army. There's absolutely no way you can tell me I need less than that. But God does. Why does God do this? The first point I want to make this morning is this, that God prunes before he positions. God prunes before he positions. What I mean by that is, God will get rid of some things in our life that we absolutely do not need. You see, God looked at Gideon and his army and said, you've got 32,000 men. That's too much baggage for me to be able to give the army of the Midianites into your hands. Because when you get through, when you get victory over this battle, when you get victory through this battle and through this trial and through this furnace and through this war, 
You can't be able to look back and say it was because of my education, it was because of the connections, it was because of my great communication skills or my muscles and good looks. Um, But, uh, you know, you can't say it was because of any of that stuff. You can only say it was because of God. God was the only one that was able to get me through that. And so when I say that God prunes before he positions, what I'm saying is perhaps this morning you find yourself in this season or stage of your life, just like Gideon, where God has called you to do something. Maybe you're, you're not sure what God's calling you to do. Maybe you're asking for a sign. But, but wherever you are, even if you're not even looking for your calling or your sign, no matter what happens, before God positions you into your destiny, before he positions you into your calling, before he positions you into what he has for you, he's going to send you through trials. He's going to send you through a pruning process. He's going to send you through things that you really just would rather not go through. He's going to get rid of some stuff that you thought would never leave. Some of you have you're going through financial troubles. You're going through marital problems. Your, your, your family's in disarray. You, you're not sure if your kids will ever come to know the Lord or whatever it is. You've got all of these problems and you're thinking, why doesn't God come through? Perhaps this is because God is getting ready to position you into what he's got for you all along. In 1 Samuel, uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it real quick. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, David is fixing to go and fight Goliath. And before he goes up to fight Goliath, Saul, who is the king, calls him into the tent and says, before you go and fight him, you can't fight him with a slingshot and the scraggly clothes you've got. So here's what I'm going to do. So in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 38, it says, Saul clothed David with his armor, with Saul's armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. So get this, David's fixing to go and fight Goliath. Saul brings him into the tent and says, you can't fight Goliath with what you've got. So let me put this on you. Let me add this to you so that you can have a better shot at defeating Goliath. And David says, he tries to walk in it. He's got the breastplate. He's got the helmet. He's got the sword. He's got the shield. He's got all this stuff on him. And he's like, I can't move. I'm going to die. There's absolutely no way I can defeat Goliath. So I'm just going to take my slingshot and my scraggly shepherd clothes and just go out and whoop him. That's all I'm going to do. And so if you look at it, Saul tried to add something to David's life. You see, society will always try and add something or tell you what you need in order to fulfill God's call for your life. Society will always tell you you need to have at least this much education, at least this much experience, these qualifications, this type of background. You you can't do what God's called you to do until you have this much experience in your life. But what God was trying to show Gideon and what God was trying to show David and what God is trying to tell us this morning is that all we need is the Holy Spirit inside of us to fulfill what he has destined for us. All we need is the Holy Spirit and the power of God inside of us to do what he has always called us to do. We don't need the education. We don't need the experience. We don't need any of that stuff except his spirit and his power ruling in our lives. There's a... uh, a man by the name of a pastor in Georgia named Jensen Franklin. Some of you may know him, some of you may not. Uh, he has been a, a pastor that has been influential in my life. Uh, when he was about 12, maybe 13 years old, God called him to preach. And he was like, cool, God is calling me to be a preacher. And so he went and he told the pastor of his church, I feel like God is calling me to be a preacher. And so the pastor sat him down and said, okay, we're going to get together and we're going to get a Sunday where you can get up and you can preach for the church, you know, get you started on your ministry and on your calling. Jensen was like, awesome, this will be great. Jensen said, but the problem was I had a stuttering problem. He said, I just, I stuttered all the time. He said, and when I got real nervous, the stuttering was even worse. He said, so I got up to preach on that Sunday morning, 
and I just couldn't speak clearly. I couldn't get across what I was trying to say. He said, then on top of that, I forgot what I was even preaching about. He said, so I got up there and I just looked at everybody and was like, Jesus loves you. And I walked off the stage and was like, I don't even know what I'm preaching about. Can't remember what I was supposed to go. Lost my notes. I don't even remember if I was reading, you know, the New Testament or the Old Testament. I couldn't remember nothing. And Jensen said he went back to the back after preaching like 45 minutes of, he said, basically gibberish. He didn't even know what he was doing. He said he went to the back of the room and the pastor went up to him. He put his arm around him and said, you really didn't hear God. This is not your calling. At 13 years old, and it crushed him. And he ran from God because he said, there's just no way this is my calling. The, the story of that, in case you're wondering, is Jensen has one of the largest churches in America today. He is a pastor of a church in Georgia with over 15,000 people. And six years ago, this past summer, was the summer that I was, God radically changed my life in a service at his church. God broke addictions and uh, attempted suicide and all these things off of me from his service, a sermon that he was preaching. And see, you don't realize the impact that you can have on somebody. But if you listen to what society says to you, if you listen to what society will tell you you can and cannot do, you'll never have that impact. You'll never have that impact on someone's life. You'll never have that impact on what God wants you to do if you always listen to what society says you can and cannot do. But if you push past that, just like Jensen did, just like Gideon did, just like David did, you push past those obstacles and say, you know what, regardless of what everybody else says, all I need is the Holy Spirit inside of me. If you listen to that voice you'll get to your calling. You'll get to what he wants for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is writing this letter, and he says in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, When I preach, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul said, listen, I may not be as good at preaching as all these other people are, but this one thing that I know, that when I do preach, Jesus shows up. He said, that's what I've got going for me. I may not be able to have the theology degree like the Pharisees. I may not be able to be as good of a preacher like Peter when he preached. 3,000 people got saved that day. He said, but this is something that I do know. When I do preach, God shows up. You see, all we need is the Holy Spirit inside of us. And some of us are going through a process now where we're going through trials and we're going through tribulations and we're, going, we're in the middle of this fiery furnace and we're not really sure why we're going through this and we're not really sure why God allows this to happen and why am I having these problems and why does God really want me to go through this? He's sending you through this because he's pruning you and he's getting you ready to position you into what he's got for you. He wants you to keep your eyes focused on him and not on the situations and circumstances around you. When Gideon has these... Uh, 32,000 men, God finally comes to him and says, you know, you, like I said, you've got, too many, you've got too many men. So God takes the 32,000 soldiers and he takes them down to 10,000. Now Gideon's like, there's just no way we're going to win this battle. There's absolutely no way 10,000 of us can go up against 135,000 and defeat them. And then God comes to him again, and I'm not going to go through all the, the verses, but if you continue to read Judges chapter 7, God comes to him again and says, yeah, you've still got too many men. 10,000 is still way too much. And I'm thinking at this point, I would be like, that's definitely the devil. That's definitely the devil telling me that, because there's absolutely no way God would ever tell me that I need to get rid of something else, that, that I've still got too much. I'd be like, test the spirits. And I'd be like, this is definitely not the Holy Spirit, it's the other one. So that's, that's my philosophy of how I would handle that situation. That's just how I would handle it. And most of us would handle it like that. But God says, you've still got way too many men. You've still got to get rid of some stuff that you've got in your army. And here's, 
here's what happens. God takes Gideon from 10,000 men to 300. And this isn't in the Bible, so don't, you know, don't quote me. But my interpretation is that at this point, this is where God changes Gideon's name to Spartacus. Because, and here's the reason, is because it's now Gideon and 300 men going up against an army of 135,000. You can go home, pray about it, ask God for discernment, but I'm pretty sure that's what happens. So Gideon and the Spartans are now, are now facing this army of 135,000. You know, they've, they're, they're, they're ready, they've got, they've got the abs, they've got the, the red robes and the swords, and the, they're on top of the mountain, and uh, that's the plot for 300. But it's still, it's still kind of parallel to the biblical story. So Gideon's going up with these 300 men. He's like, I've definitely got this. We've got a better shot at winning this war now. No, he's freaked out. He's like, we've only got 300 soldiers. There is no way we can defeat an army of 135,000. So here's the second point that I want to make, is that God wants us faithful, not fearful. God wants us faithful, not fearful. You see, God has pruned Gideon. He has, he has gotten rid of some stuff in his life that he absolutely cannot send him into the battle. He can't position him to be the leader of Israel until he gets rid of some stuff that's holding him back. And then the second process is he wants him to be faithful and not fearful. You see, if you think that Gideon was all gung-ho about going up against an army with only 300 soldiers, you'd be kidding yourself. He was afraid. He was terrified. But see, God was trying to teach him to walk by faith and not walk by feelings and not walk by fear. And so this morning, you may be facing one of the biggest obstacles of your life. You may be going up against an army or, or an enemy or a battle or a stronghold or an addiction that you think there is absolutely no way I can ever overcome this. But God is trying to teach you this morning, if you will just walk by faith and not by fear, you'll overcome it. God doesn't want us to be overcome by fear, but to overcome our obstacles by faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is still writing to the Corinthian church and he says this in verse 26, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many are mighty, and not many are noble that are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Well, God, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying God has chosen the rejected, despised, and hated things of the world and completely used them for his kingdom. God, God is specializes. Our God specializes in underdog transformation. He takes what is an underdog in the world's eyes and he completely transforms them into a victor in the kingdom. That's what our God does. And so you're, you, you may be here in life right now wondering, why am I going through this? What are all of these struggles? Why are all these strongholds? have me? Why am I going through this? Why can't God just go ahead and use me now? Why can't God just go ahead and give me the blessings now? And this morning, what, I'm, what I hope to relay to you is this process that God sends us through. He sends us through a pruning process, and then he sends us through a test of testing our faith. I would love to end this story with Gideon and his army went in, they defeated the, the Midianites, and then it was over. They all had a big party, and they all lived happily ever after. But I can't put a period where the Word of God puts a comma. And the truth of the matter is, is that Gideon did defeat the Midianites. He had 300 soldiers, and not a single one of them lost their life. All of them won this battle. They got out. Everything was good. But then something happened that 
happens to a lot of us. Gideon, after being obedient to God, God blessed Gideon with all of this gold and all of this wealth and all of this silver and all these possessions. And so Gideon takes this gold and he begins to melt it and mold it and form it and he forms an idol out of this gold that God blessed him with and he begins to worship this idol as God. And you see, this is what happens for many of us in life is after we have gotten what God has given us, we take the blessings and we begin to worship the blessing over the blesser. The third point I have for you this morning is don't worship the blessing over the blesser. You see, Gideon began to worship what God did as opposed to worshiping the God who did it. And for many of us, that's what we end up doing. When we are an underdog, when we become the top dog, if you will, we end up worshiping our status in life and we begin to treat other underdogs like trash. We see this if, if you're in school, we, we see on the news where you know, somebody was getting bullied and, and they say, well, you know, he was once bullied himself, but now he's the one that's doing all the bullying. We've heard of those stories, right? Where those who were once bullied become the bulliers and, you know, bulliers, bully, I don't know. Anyhow, and then you hear stories of, of people who were once really poor and then they, they get a big break in life and they're successful and they're wealthy and then, you know, everyone else that makes less than they are are just beneath them and they're just trash and you can't touch me kind of thing. We see that, we witness that every day. These are people who are failing to see what the position that they are in. You see, God wants to bless us, but he doesn't want to bless us to the point where we worship the blessing over him, where we begin to honor what he has done for us over who he actually is for us. And so the story of Gideon, even though it's short, sweet, and kind of to the point, it, it reflects what God is trying to show us tonight or this morning. If you're in this position this morning where you're not sure really what to do. You're not, you don't understand why you're going through these battles. You don't understand why you're going through all of these struggles and, and difficulties and tribulations. Understand this morning that God is sending you through this furnace. God is sending you through these trials because he's pruning you to get ready to position, to position you into what he has always destined for your life. God has something absolutely amazing for your life. And so the struggles that you're going through, the, the anger that you feel, the frustration that you have, is because he's getting ready to do something and unlock and unleash something in your life that you could never even imagine. The Word of God says that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ever ask or think. That's not just a good catchphrase. That's a promise we can hold on to, that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we would ever ask or think for ourselves. That's what our God does. And so when you're walking in this life, you may be asking yourself, well, I don't understand why God would send me through this. I don't understand why God would want me to go through this type of stuff, why he allows me to go through trials, why he allows me to go through this type of trial. No one else has to go, go through what I go through. Well, God is sending you through this to teach you faith so that you're not overcome by fear, but that you can actually stand and rise above the storm. When God called Peter to walk on the water, Peter was good as long as he walked on the water and kept his eyes focused on Jesus. But the moment that he started to look at what was going on around him, Peter began to sink. You see, it's easy for us that if we start looking at what's going on around us, it's easy to start sinking in those troubles, to start doubting God. But if we keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus, we will always be able to overcome. In the first service, I used the illustration of a sponge and the fact that we are all basically like sponges. You know, if you take a sponge and you, and you pour it in, you know, you just soak it in water. When you get that sponge out, it's full. It's got everything it could ever need. It's doing its job completely well. 
Well, some of us this morning have, we've had that. We've had that sense of fulfillment. We've had that fullness in life where we've had everything we could ever want. But maybe some of us this morning are going through the process that the sponge goes through where they're being strained. They're, they're, the life is literally being squeezed out of them. Maybe this morning you're going through that process where everything just seems to be leaving and exiting your life. It's just being, it's being pressed, it's being squished, it's being stressed out. You know, all of your joy that you once had in that sponge is now gone. All the joy you had in your life is gone. All the love, all the blessings that you had, everything just seems to be leaving your life and it's just poured out. And you're like, I'm literally losing everything. And God gave a, a really strong prophetic word this morning, which was, he can fill you once again. That sponge can never be squeezed so much to the point, can never be emptied so much to the point that it can never be refilled, that it can never be soaked back in water and expanded and enlarged again. It can always be refilled with whatever it lost. And so this morning, maybe you're in the position where you have lost so much stuff and you, you know, you're not sure if you're going to have a job tomorrow morning. You're not even sure if, you know, you get home, if your spouse is still going to be there. You're never sure if your kids are going to, you know, really get their life straight. And you're just not sure where you are in life. God just wants you to know that he can refill you again, just like a sponge can be refilled. If you're like me and you only wash your car like every six months, and that's because I'm putting it very, very nicely, you know, more like 12. But if you have this big sponge that you use to wash your car and you go months without ever using it, when I go back out to the garage and I, I have this sponge, it's harder than a rock. It's just absolutely hard. It's like I could literally decapitate someone's face with this hard sponge. Like there's just no way I could wash it. I'll scratch my car up. And the reason for that is because it's just not been soaked and immersed in water and it's literally just hardened itself by being in a dry place. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you are hard. Maybe your heart is hardened. Maybe you're just, you're angry at what people have done. You're bitter. You're upset. You just don't understand. You're confused. You're hurt. You're disappointed. You're depressed. No matter how hard that sponge can get, no matter how hard you can get, it can always be softened again by immersing itself in water. If you allow yourself to be immersed in the presence of God and immerse yourselves in prayer and immerse yourself in the word of God, God can break up and soften everything that has been hardened in your life. The feelings that have been hardened, the, 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 your, your life, the joy, everything that has been squeezed out of you, God can refill and put that back in you. You just have to allow yourself to be immersed. So this morning, no matter what season of life you are in, no matter what stage or process of life you're in, if you find yourself this morning in, in the process that Gideon did where you're asking, God, is this really what you want for me? Is this really your sign? Is this really what you're calling me to do? If that's you this morning, you say, God, I, I just, I just where, where are you? Where is this God that, that this guy standing up here on the stage is talking about? Because I've prayed and nothing's ever happened. Where is this God that everyone is convinced exists? If that's you this morning, God wants you to know this. You, he does not want you to leave here this morning without recognizing his clear vision for your life and experiencing his radical love for you. I'm not talking about just a feeling or an emotion. I'm talking about it overtaking your emotions because he wants you to experience it that much. 
So if you're in this process this morning where you're like, I'm not really sure what God wants for me. I, I don't even know if God is there for me. God is here. And he doesn't want you to leave here this morning without being able to experience that love. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe this morning you're, you're in a position where you are going through a pruning process where you're not really sure what to do. You don't understand why this is happening to you. God wants you to know this morning that it's okay. That you're going through this for a season, but you're going to come out of it a victor. You may be last now, but you will be first. An underdog now means a victor later. So if you're going through the pruning process, don't be upset, don't be discouraged. God has a purpose through it all. Maybe you're in the second stage where God is sending you through all of this stuff, but you know that he's wanting you to trust him. You, you know that you're supposed to walk by faith, but it's just, it's difficult. He's just, he's, he is softly speaking this morning that you would just trust him and believe him. Finally, this morning, maybe your life is good. Maybe everything is going great this morning. Maybe you've got everything you could ever want. Then God's word to you is do not worship where you're at. Don't worship what you have over who he is. Don't fall in love with the things of God in replace or instead of falling in love with God himself. God really moved in the first service and I just want to pray that God would move in this second service just as powerfully as he did in the first. That no matter what you're going through, that you would make your way to this altar to be able to say, God, I really need to experience your love this morning. So maybe you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. I don't want you to leave here this morning without experiencing the new birth, without experiencing Christ as your personal Savior. We will, someone will meet up here and pray with you and pray for you. Maybe, you're, maybe you've accepted Christ as your Savior, but you've, you're, you find yourself in one of these positions, and so you need, to, you need God to do You just need to experience God this morning. I invite you to, to, to step out in faith, to not hold back in fear, but to step out in faith and just come this morning and say, God, I need you. Do for me what your word says you will do for me. So I want to pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for who you are, Lord. I pray that you, your Holy Spirit would touch each and every person here this morning. God, you would show us how much you, you desperately and furiously love us, Father God. That we would experience your love. We would, we would keep our eyes focused on you. We would, we would be faithful to the very end. And God, no matter what we're going through, that we would be able to trust and rely on you with everything and with every ounce of our being. God, we love you and we praise you. And we thank you for who you are, God. In your name.